Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. To create an apparatus of investigation and a set of concepts that produce desired material outcomes on explanations, no matter how counterintuitive, no matter how mystifying to the uninitiated, moreover, that materialism is absolute because we cannot allow a divine foot in the door. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every giant will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible With you Oh, nothing is impossible Hello and welcome to today's Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby. Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so glad and encouraged that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's program, Pastor Keith continues his sermon series entitled, The Blueprint. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to Isaiah 45. And now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. Here we are. Uh, As you know, if if you've joined us today for the first time, you don't know this. We're doing a sermon series called The Blueprint. Is this us? And what this series is about is about our statement of faith. As we move ahead in ministry together as a church family, we want to make certain that we are singing from the same sheet of music, that we are united around a common understanding of God's Word so that we can major on the major and minor on the minors together. And so that we can understand what we believe so that we can explain it to others because you can only share what you know. And so we call the series The Blueprint because every denomination, every church, every even every individual Christian basically has a basic statement of faith that is the uh, schematic or the blueprint or the diagram or the roadmap for what they believe and how it translates into ministry. And we are no different. And so last week we began this series and we talked about the Bible and what it means for us and what it means to us and what the Bible is and what the Bible does. That's the Word of God. And this week we're going to talk about God. Imagine that in a church service, but it's true. And so we're looking at our, at our 10-point platform that we took off of our website. It is the Evangelical Free Church's uh, Statement of Faith. And we are going to talk about God today. Now, I want to read you a quote. It's a a true story about somebody taking what they know about God and explaining it to someone else, which is what I want us to be able to do. A well-known skeptic and elitist in uh, merry old England was walking one day when he crossed paths with a common, everyday, garden-variety Christian. 
And it was Sunday, and so he thought he'd have a little fun with him. And he said, so, where are you going? To church, sir, the man replied. What are you going to do there? He asked with sort of an air of uh, smugness and something like contempt. And he said, well, I'm going to worship God. And so amused, the skeptic said to him, is your God a great or a little God? To which the common everyday man replied, well, he is both, sir. Interested, the skeptic replied, how can he be both? To which the common everyday Christian replied, well, he is so great, sir, that the heavens of heavens and the earth cannot contain him in so little that he can dwell in my heart. The elitist wrote this in his journal, and this has been recorded, that this simple answer had more effect on his mind and his thoughts about God than anything he had ever read before. All the volumes he had read. You see, you don't know how God is going to use you. You, you might think, I only know this much, but this much in a given situation is all that it might take to get somebody thinking about God. And so I want you today to think about how you think about God. And so we continue this series so that we can get others to think about God in a way they may not have thought about before, so that we can understand what we believe and why we believe it and explain it to others. And it might be just something as simple as this. So I want you to think with me today because people need to know, Christians need to know what they believe. You and I need to know what we believe. And our statement of faith is a nice little blueprint for you to think about because it's based on what? It's based on the Bible. Everything starts with the Bible. Even your understanding of God starts with the Bible because you can't know God apart from the Bible. And so today we will perhaps not exhaustively discuss the topic of God as we think about God, but I hope to discuss it sufficiently with you so that you can share it with others. So that you can, it will help you think about God and maybe even rethink the way that you think about God. So what does our statement of faith say about God? God. We believe in one God, creator of all things, holy and infinite, and eternally existing in a loving unity of three equally divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, having limitless knowledge and sovereign power. God has graciously purposed from eternity to redeem a people for himself and to make all things new for his own glory. Now, that was short and sweet, just like the common Christian's explanation of God to the skeptic. But like that explanation, this, this plank, this portion, this part of our statement of faith is simple yet profound. It is loaded. And today, with only 40 minutes or so to talk to you about how you think about God, we're not going to plumb the depths of every inch of Scripture. We don't have the time. Or this passage, what we're going to do with this statement of faith plank here is to use it as an outline to talk about how we should be thinking about God. And there are, there are three categories that we're going to discuss today. God's existence and what it means, his nature and what it means, his sovereignty and what it means. 
And so I'm going to organize our thoughts around the three key themes there in that piece of our statement of faith and that aspect of our blueprint. Three categories. So let's start with category number one. Category number one is his existence and what it means. And where I'd like you to turn in your Bibles today, if you have them with you, and I hope you do, is to the very, 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 very first book of the Bible and the very, very first verse of the Bible. What does it say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, today, I'm not going to debate the existence of God. That would be silly because it's obvious to all who really take time to think about their own existence. It's assumed. The Bible assumes it. The Bible starts out not even debating it. That's a given. And so it would be senseless for us to do otherwise. And, you know, when people talk about, well, how can you prove God's existence? I don't know that you've got to prove God to me. Remember this. That's like fleas on the back of an elephant debating the existence of the elephant. It's It's crazy. Because you look around you, you see the power of God made manifest. His invisible attributes shown to us by everything that he's made. And we understand that people have to suppress the realization that God has made himself apparent to us by all that was made so that they don't have to be accountable to him. And a lot of times people say, well, you, you, you're, you're a Christian and all Christians engage in circular reasoning. If somebody says that to you, I want you to know how to respond to them. And how do you respond to them? Here's how. All reasoning, all reasoning is circular. All reasoning is. We start with the Bible. They start with some idea that they have. All reasoning begins with faith. We believe that God is. We believe the Bible is true. The Bible says God is. Therefore, we believe circular reasoning. The laws of physics are circular reasoning. Second law of thermodynamics, entropy, energy conservation, Matter cannot be created or destroyed. Says who? Well, based on our experience, based on our... Right. But you're making suppositions that cannot be proven. I remember Christopher Hitchens, the first of the popular angry atheists in his book, God is Not Great, talked about how Christianity was immoral. And a pastor said to him, on what basis do you say that? You don't believe in God. You don't believe in a purposeful universe. You don't believe in transcendent truth. You don't believe in the Bible. So you have no basis for morality. So you're just saying that. You have, you're engaging in circular reasoning yourself, Christopher. Because what is morality without transcendent truth, without God? So God is. That's indisputable. God is. Now, be, to be sure, God is a controversial topic. But the fact is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the professing atheist or agnostic, and I say professing because the Bible tells us there's really no such thing as an atheist or an agnostic. Everybody knows that God is. They just don't want to admit it to themselves or others because then they'd be accountable. But they have to deny God's existence because it's an article of their faith. Let me read you a quote from Dr. David Lewinton. He has his Bachelor of Science from Harvard University, a Ph.D. from Columbia University. He was on the faculty at Guelph University in Canada. And he talks as a social commentator and as a scientist about why God cannot be. And I want to read you this quote, and I want you to listen to it very carefully. 
Our willingness to accept scientific claims that are against common sense is the key to an understanding of the real struggle between science and the supernatural. We take the side of science in spite of, the, in spite of the patent absurdity of some of its constructs, in spite of its failure to fulfill many extravagant promises of health and life, in spite of tolerance, the tolerance of the scientific community for unsubstantiated just-so theories, because we have a prior commitment, or some people call it an a priori understanding, a commitment to materialism. Basically, all that you see is all that there is. He goes on to say, it's not that the methods and institutions of science somehow compel us to accept a material explanation of the phenomenal world, but on the contrary, that we are forced by our a priori adherence to material causes and values to create an apparatus of investigation and a set of concepts that produce desired material outcomes and explanations, no matter how counterintuitive, no matter how mystifying to the uninitiated. Moreover, that materialism is absolute because we cannot allow a divine foot in the door. That last part of it, did you catch that? No matter how silly our theories are, no matter how unprovable they are, they are so because we say they're so because we can't afford to believe in God. Therefore, miracles can't take place and there can be no God because we said so. That's an article of faith. That's circular reasoning. We we can't prove God's existence because we don't believe in miracles. The Bible can't be true because it's supernatural. We cannot allow a divine foot in the door. That's circular reasoning at its best or worst. God can't exist because we don't want him to. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And whether fleas on the back of an elephant don't want to admit its existence or not, it doesn't change the facts. And I want you to look at that in the beginning language because as you look at Genesis 1-1, it really is a very, very radical, worldview-shaping statement. And that in the beginning language is very common in the Bible, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's Jesus, right? It speaks to the eternality of God. Since the beginning of time, there has been one God. It doesn't say in the beginning many gods created the heavens and the earth, and people often talk about the epic of Gilgamesh, but it bears no resemblance to the creation account in the Bible at all. Since the beginning of time, there has been one God, self-existing, eternal, separate from the creation. One God, not three, not five, not seven, not 1,500, not three million. And we see this testified to in Isaiah 45, verses 5 through 7. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Notice what God is saying about himself. Now, he's obviously not interested in the era of pluralism in which we live. And he's obviously not very politically correct because he's saying, I'm it, the rest of them are all fake. And he says it more than once. If you look at Isaiah 45, 22 to 23, we see how the understanding of God connects to our salvation. 
Isaiah 45, 22, and 23. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself, the highest authority, I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow and every tongue will swear allegiance. Why is that? Because they have at least three key earth gods, okay? They don't have a trinity. They have three separate gods. And each Mormon is evolving into godhood, and they have more gods than the Hindus. So Mormonism can't be Christianity, even though now it's trying to say that it is. Mormonism is just another world religion. And this also means that any polytheistic, any religion that has more than one god is patently false just the way it is. Think about it. When we say, well, you know, all religions are true and they all get you to God somehow or another, all these religions contradict one another. So if this religion is true, then all the other ones can't be. And God says he's the only God. There is no other. He's the one who saves. And every knee will bow and swear allegiance for salvation. Salvation is only found through trusting in the true God. Let's take a closer look at these implications of this verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Think about this. God created the time, matter, space continuum. He created the heavens and the earth. He created the material world. And in Colossians, we understand he created things that are seen and not seen. You know what that means? It means that nothing and nobody is here by accident. Nothing and nobody is here through trial and error, God trying to get it right over time. And even the choice of words in the Hebrew has to do, the word there is bara, it's a verb, it means to create something out of nothing. So everything's here for a reason, everything's here for a person. And you know what it also means? Matter can be created, and therefore matter can be destroyed, so much for our circular reasoning. And it also means that there is a time when the heavens and the earth did not exist. And what does that mean? That speaks to the eternality of God. God doesn't need us. We need him. Our existence is dependent on God. His existence is not dependent on us. So what? Well, there are people who worship the earth. God is in all and all is in God. We call that pantheism. That everything, rocks and trees and everything, God is a piece of, is a piece of God. But this verse blows that whole notion, that whole idea clean out of the water because there was a time when the universe did not exist but God did so it's not part of him and he's not part of it he is theologians say transcendent and so as you interact with people day in and day out and they want to talk to you about God and do some God talk I want you to think about what you're hearing and what you know and think about how you're going to talk to them and again you keep it simple like the guy in the opening illustration but you know what also it means it means that the idea of naturalism or materialism that uh, Dr. Lewontin talked about here in that quote I gave you a moment ago is false. Naturalism and materialism is a philosophy masquerading as a science that says the physical world is all that we see and therefore all that there is. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth says just the opposite. So you can't have your cake and eat it too. You know, in the Bible, uh, 
Elijah and later even uh, Joshua says, you know, you can't stand between two, opi- two opinions. Choose today whom you're going to serve. There is no neutrality in this type of conversation. It also talks about human philosophies as irrelevant like existentialism. We live in a world where we experience life and there is no purpose, no rhyme, no reason. Well, God created the heavens and the earth. He must have had a reason. Implicit in the act is the will to create. And the will to create expresses a purpose and a desire. So you and I aren't here by accidents. We're not freaks of nature. Later on, it will say that God made us in his own image. Uh, That rules out human philosophies. God deliberately created us. We have a purpose and a meaning. And because God created on purpose, there is no trial and error. You know, was it 80% of the population doesn't believe in evolution, even the ones who aren't believers? There's a reason for that, because it's nuts. God's trying to get it right over time. Oh, well, you know, God in his sovereignty gave us the freedom to evolve. Not according to the Bible. You can't make the case from Scripture. So you have to decide, what do you believe? God created on purpose. Time has a beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and that tells us time is probably going to have an end. We know that as the second coming and the new heaven and the new earth. I want you to think about what you believe. What does this mean for you? What does this mean for you day in and day out as you try to make sense of your existence? Well, think with me on this. It means that there is an order to our existence. There's a reason that we're here. And you know what? That should bring us comfort and assurance. Because God didn't just roll the dice and throw us down there to see what would happen to us. Life has a purpose. Life has a meaning. And God knows the plans that he has for us. Plans for a hope. Not for calamity. Not for ruin. God has raised each and every one of us up for such a time as this. And our job, our mission, is to find out what that is. We have the roadmap here in the Bible, right? Our blueprint. And to do what he's called us to. He knows everything about us. He knows the plans he has for us. He knows why we're here. We look to him. We have a purpose. You know what it also means? What God created, God owns. You know, we talked a little bit about Psalm 100 when we had the call to prayer on Sunday night last week. And we talked about we are the sheep of his pasture. It's he who's made us and not we ourselves. We're his livestock. He owns us. You know what that means? It means you and I, whether you are a Christian or a non-Christian, if God made you, you're accountable to him. You're responsible to him. And people don't like that. And that's why you have people saying, God can't exist because I don't want him to exist because I don't believe in miracles and I don't believe in the supernatural. Therefore, God can't exist. Circular reasoning doesn't work with God. What God created, God owns, and we are responsible and accountable. It also means because of this that God's existence should not and cannot be ignored. You can't pretend that he's not here. Last Sunday, we talked about Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6. The heavens are declaring the glories of God, and day to day pours forth speech. And there's no place where their voice, their language is not heard. In Psalm 19, 7 through 14, we saw what the Bible is and what the Bible does. The bottom line is we're accountable for everything that's in this book from Genesis to Revelation.
Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And if you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408-269-4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live Radio program is a listener-supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org and also at jono at hillside.org. That's J-O-N-O at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening.